Hi, everyone. Welcome to an episode of Everything is Canon, a Cinelinks podcast, a podcast where we invite marginalized authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. I'm your host, Steve Dunk, and thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at cinelinks.com, or you can always find me on Twitter, of course, at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. And so, without further ado, let's get the show on the road and meet today's guest. everyone welcome to the show uh as is always the case we will continue to encourage supporting authors and stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves each time we either engage in a conversation whether it be online or face to face or each time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices uh a reminder that march is women's history month a time of commemorating and encouraging the study observance and celebration that the vital role women play in american history north and canada and canadian history there are several ways you can do this, of course. I suggest listening to women for starters, then go from there. Okay, uh, Deborah Fillet is a Nigerian-Canadian young adult author. She grew up in Lagos, Nigeria, where she spent her time devouring African literature, pestering her grandma for folk tales, and tricking her grandfather into watching Passions every night. When she's not writing about fierce black girls with badass magic, she can be found obsessing over all things reality TV. She currently lives in Toronto with her husband and their partner in crime, Yorkie Major, if that bio is kind of short, that's because she's here to talk about her debut novel, Blood Skyon, which is described as following one girl's journey of magic, injustice, power, and revenge. This deeply felt and emotionally charged debut from Deborah Fillet, inspired by Yoruba Nigerian mythology, is a magnetic combination of a song of race and ruin and daughter of smoke and bone that will utterly thrill and capture readers. I just read that for the first time right now, and those are really, really, really good comps. Um, I believe I said something along the lines of this book will knock your fucking socks off when I first read it on Twitter. Um, it comes out on my birthday. Let's convince her to get that website going, goddammit. Please welcome to the show, Deborah Filet. Hi, Deborah. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. Yeah, seriously, what's with the website? Let's let's get it. Cool. Oh my god! I am, you know what? Like, I I started working on this website last year, and yeah. I said because I I love to I love putting things together, so I said I was gonna do it on my own, and I took it on, and I I was enjoying it, but then I feel like with the wave of publication kind of coming closer and closer, it's like you get hit with so much, so many things. Oh yeah. It's a busy time. Now I'm just like, okay, I'm going to do this. But then I try to pick it up at night. Like I like 2am when I'm finally going to bed yeah. and I'm so tired. I'm just like, nah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now it's like, it's just been like a continuous thing where I'm just like, okay, I'm going to do this tonight. And then it doesn't happen. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. And now we're like, what a week away from this book coming out. So <laughs> my publicist is like not happy about that. But, um, I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 uh, it's just one of those sort of things that's expected of you nowadays, isn't it? And and, it and, is, yeah. and the one thing that I know a lot of debuts don't realize unless they have like author friends who are already there providing with this, uh, providing them with all this information is that like you become uh, uh, an like you're you own your own business now. Yeah, and it. it's like mm -hmm. you're doing more time is spent doing business type things rather than writing right because you know you're you're emailing you're doing this you're do, like it's it's insane right and and i always take this opportunity to, to make sure to remind people like um please uh practice good posture right back straight wrists wrists even you know at the desk you know make sure because if your wrists and back go like you're done right so these days of you know writing a book on a laptop in your bed are done you got to be at your desk and like we need you we need you to stick around all right so everyone out there make sure that uh, you practice good posture when you're doing this because yeah you are doing a lot more just desk computer time aren't you yeah it's like non-stop honestly i was telling my partner yesterday i was like i think yesterday was the first time that i had nothing to do since January, like mm. I just had a free day to myself. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is crazy. It's like you don't what did you do? Get, like <laughs> I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. I wrote. Well I that wrote, yeah. Wrote all day. <laughs> um book two? Oh uh, book, book, book two, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um 
Yeah, that's the other thing too, right? It's a truism now because once they lock you into this sort of like Gregorian calendar schedule, like when you're marketing one book, you're on deadline for the next book. So it's kind of a funny thing that way, right? But um, uh, that's funny in your day off, you just wrote. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, time to write. Because, you know, it's like, as your book is coming out, you get less and less time to dedicate to like an actual like full-time writing, yeah. which is what I had pre-publication. But yeah. Um, yeah, now it's just kind of like you still whatever time you can to write and then you have to like deal with admin and then it's just so much going on. So getting to like have that time off yesterday, I was just like, wow, I actually get to dedicate eight, nine hours to writing. Like that's, that's pretty dope. <laughs> and that's what I did. <laughs> and you has your your writing space changed at all are you still like time of day or are you like and or or just your physical my, space my writing was never like it was never like what's the word like just it was it, it's always my writing schedule is basically a mess and what I mean by that is I don't sleep at night I, I go to bed around 4 5 a.m yeah so, and I find that like nighttime writing is like what works best for me. So I do a lot of my writing in the evening, but then now it's like, I also do it during the day. So it's, it's kind of like two schedules that I have. Right. If that makes sense. And like, yeah, yeah, what, yeah. I, what I've noticed is that because of, you know, all the admin stuff that's like happening with publication, I'm relying more on like my evenings, like my nighttime to like write. Right. Yesterday, when I just had that day off, I was just like, okay, no, this is, I'm doing this all day. And I actually was able to go to bed early yesterday, which felt so good. Like what's, what's, <laughs> er, what's early? What, what's early? Early for me is 2.30. Okay. okay. Yeah. 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 That's early for me. Nice. Good for you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I love those days. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, What's your writing space like? Are you, are you at a desk in front of a window? What do you do? Coffee yeah. shops? Yeah. I used to I used to work. I have like a little office space uh, that I used to write in. Um, but now I find myself like gravitating more towards like my couch because I have a couch close to the window. Okay. Or maybe it's just like a natural light. Yeah. I just find it so like refreshing. So that I've been, I've basically been writing on my couch a lot. Like, I want to say all year, like so far since the year started, I've been, I've been on my couch. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, just keep that goddamn back straight. <laughs> all right. Please. We, I, have a pillow. I, I use a pillow behind me. Okay. Okay. We need, we need you. All right. We can't have you getting hurt. We need you. Um, just for your own livelihood. I mean, if you're back in Risco, man, you're in trouble. Um, I didn't want to get too far ahead here until we talk about this book cover. Cause I fucking love it so much. And, uh, Taj Francis, I mean, I've got his, he's, I've got other stuff of him on my shelf as well. Um, it, it's just such a special moment for every author, but a debut author, of course, is, is even more special for obvious reasons. Right. So, um, and I don't know what, how much you knew about this book beforehand, but usually authors don't really have a lot to do with their book covers. Tell me about sort of if you had anything to do with this cover and how you felt when you first saw it. I did. I, did. I was honestly, because you know, you hear things about how authors don't really have a lot of say in their covers, but I was lucky in that my editor, she reached out to me and she, you know, asked me what I, you know, wanted and just what direction I wanted us to go in. Mm-hmm. And I sent a big ass note, just with like what I thought I wanted. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that, you know, I said at the time was like, I, I think I want to see like a warrior girl, like a girl that just looks like a warrior on the cover. Someone that was, that could feel as though she's like an embodiment of like the God that she's, you know, representing. Right. Um, and she absolutely loved that. And so they started searching for like, you know, someone like a, like an artist to like put this together. And I remember the first time she told me, that they got cash and she sent me a concept that he had made. I was like, no, this is it. We're not changing it. Like this thing, like, Debbie, it's just the concept. And I was like, I don't care. This is, this is what we're going with. Um, Cause it was just so beautiful. And 
I, I didn't know too much about Taj until that moment, but like mm-hmm. after that, just went scouring the internet for his work. And it's just, it's so striking. It's so beautiful. Like the use of color, everything about it is just perfect. And it only got better. Like I, I when I saw that, I was like, okay, yeah, I know. Like this is it. And I think the first time I saw the finished copy at the time, I was meant to be coming out in 2021. Um, Plus sign was meant to be coming out in 2021. So I saw this copy, um, this cover, and I, I I just lost it. Like, I just actually burst out crying. Uh-huh. Um, and then when I found out that we had to, you know, like, the book was going to be moved to 2022, that was the biggest one for me. Because I'm like, how am I supposed to keep this a secret for the whole year? It's hard, yeah. yeah. I had the cover in my hand, and now we're going to have, because I was just... I was ready to announce, like I was ready to like put it out there. And then it was like, okay, no, we're moving to 2022. So now I have to wait an entire year to like announce this cover, but I'm, I'm happy. Like I, it's, it's, it's a beautiful cover. And honestly, I, I couldn't have asked, I, I couldn't imagine blood sign having a different cover. It's like striking. It I mean, is. right. There's just some really great, beautiful covers out there. For the last few years, we've been really, really, really lucky with some great covers. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, it's, and there's a lot of covers that I like, love. And, but this one is like, kind of stops you. And <laughs> like, it's going to look great on shelves. Like when it's for sale, you know, March 8th, my birthday. Um, it's going to stop people in their tracks. Like it's, it's going to display really well. And you, you're going to, you know, you might, even if you didn't go to the bookstore to buy this book, you're going to walk by it and you're going to stop. Right. Yeah. And you're going to look at that cover and you're going to be like, what the fuck is that? Who is that? Like, I need to know who this person is immediately. Right. Like, so it's so amazing. Was that the first time you saw Sloan? It was. Yeah. Okay. Okay. See, that's incredible, isn't it? Because I mean, Sloan's been in your head for a long time, right? Oh, yeah. So, she's been in my head for like 10 years. That yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> for 10 years. Right, right. <laughs> so talk about that, like getting to see Sloan for the first oh, time. Oh, my God. No, yeah. Like that. And, and also, sorry. And also, like, yeah. how much compared to what sort of what you had in your head of what Sloan sort of looked like? You know what? Like, it's weird, but in 10 years, I never imagined her. Okay. I never, like, I never, I never pictured her and I think part of that you know this is kind of like getting into like a different thing but like I think part of that was because I think up until the book sold even long after the book sold I never thought that blood sign would come out right I never thought that this was a this was a book that was going to get published or this was a book that an editor would want or you know someone would pick up and say I want this like in all the years that I was working on it, it was more so, there was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of doubt that was there. Um, so I, I never pictured her because it never felt real in my head that this was going to happen. So I think that was what made that moment all the more special, mm-hmm. um, seeing her for the first time, mm-hmm. because it was really like, wow. Like someone went into my brain and picked out things that I didn't even envision for this girl and put it all together. Like, and the fact that, you know, you've seen Taj's work, you know, that he uses a lot of swirls, right? Yeah. And the fact that that just matches with the book and her magic, to me, it just felt like fate. Like, how did you think to put this on her? Because this is exactly like, like, this is exactly what, what she is this is exactly what i wrote about her on paper right mm-hmm. and i think that was the moment when it started to feel real like because even like i said even when after the book sold and we were editing and doing all this work on it a part of it just still never felt like it was gonna happen right but when i saw that cover i was like wow like this is it like this is this is my idea this is like my creation in art form. And I think that's the best way I can describe the cover. It just feels like like art, you know? Oh, it is art, 100% yeah. art. Um, well, it is real and it is coming out again, March <laughs> March, March 8th, again, on my birthday. I'm very happy about that. Um, and it is 
a fucking incredible book. It's such a great debut. It's such a great beginning to this story. I can't like it's uh, it's just it's definitely one of those books where I uh, see I had this thing where like I cannot like I, I couldn't possibly wait to I can't wait for like all the books in the series to come out so I can read them all right away. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't have that in me. So I have to read them as they come out. And um, like, I am just like, I can't wait to read book. Like I am just, yeah, I remember finishing it. And I was just like, oh my God, give it to me right now. I need, <laughs> you know, it's really great. Um, it's really great. Really great, Deborah. Like, wonderful. I can't, people are going to just lose their minds. And I know people are already losing their minds over it. So it's going to be just yeah, when it, when, when weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, that's it. Right. And, and you've got, um, God, you've got a launch with two of my favorite authors and one of my favorite people, JL, is is a friend of mine. And uh, yeah, 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 both incredible. I'm so grateful to call those girls my girls. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's been an amazing launch. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, talk about two other really. I mean, they're they're a little little further along than you are. Not much, but a little mm -hmm. further along. But talk, you know, there's two day just wonderful debuts as well for them. And, and I'm yeah. sure have just a ton of great advice as well, but yeah, that's, that's going to be a really, really great launch. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to, because, so I also write for, we need diverse books and um, I'm putting together a round table on book banning at the moment. It's, I got to, it's not recording up till the end of the month, but so I'm like heavy into this issue right now. And so I, I like to, I just want to talk every time I talk to an author, I want to talk about it because I don't want this issue to go away. I don't, I know there's other things in the world too that require attention, but I think this is to me, the book banning that's happening in the States right now is like a five alarm fire. Like it's, it's an emergency and Fine. yeah. And it scares the shit out of me. So we're a little bit more privileged in Canada. I, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're, I went to my local library with a list of banned books in the States and they had like 89% of them. So um, you know, we're Canada's a little different than the States for sure, but it does affect everyone, doesn't it? And I'm just wondering sort of what your thoughts are, if you have anything maybe new to add that you hadn't seen out there or anything like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've been following it too. And yeah. I think, you know, it's not something that like I remember when, um, the hate you gave came out. Right. And yeah. there was a lot of conversations around that too, you know, schools banning it and whatever, and just this idea of like wanting to like I don't like, I feel like okay here's the thing I feel like a lot of people are afraid to pick up a mirror and take a look at themselves and mm -hmm. I think that's what is that that's what these books like represent you know it's the re it's 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 the hard truth that they don't want to face. You know, it's like that reality of like, this is a, this is the history and this is how fucked up it was. And these are the, you know, terrible things that we did and look at it in book form. And I think there's this fear that, you know, maybe if these kids are picking up these books, like, I don't know exactly what it is that it's going to like alter your perception of like who they are or whatever. But I, I think it's ridiculous. Because I think storytelling is one of like the oldest forms of like empathy, like understanding each other and just like seeing other realities are like outside of your own mm -hmm. and getting to understand these characters and getting to follow along in like their journeys and, and really coming to terms with like, okay, these are the things that are, are happening that maybe might be outside of like your own bubble, but now you're, you're getting to see it. And with The Hate You Give especially, like that, that book, was that book did that for a lot of people mm -hmm. i think there are also people out there who are they don't want to face that truth like they don't want to admit to themselves that yeah there's some fucked up shit happening in our neighborhoods or happening around us and we're the cause of it mm -hmm. you know yeah and so the resort to like banning these books but what's that going to do i think you ban books kids are still going to find new ways to like get these stories you know they're still going to find new ways to like see these things especially in the age of like social media like it doesn't really make sense for me right right yeah 
I think like to me, this reeks of this is sort of like low hanging fruit for them and they're seeing how much they can get away with right now. And I think, <laughs> and I think if they get away with this scot-free, I think to your point, I think the, I think the internet is next. I think digital is next for them. And I think they'll keep going as they're going to push it as long as they can and as hard as they can. And they're really, they're very organized and they're very determined. Like they're just, their hate is strong and organized and determined and it's scary. And, you know, books are, this is, and this, this relates to you a lot because, you know, even look in your bio there, right. You know, you know, pestering your grandmother for stories and, and devouring, uh, you know, literature, right. From your, from your home, your homeland. And I mean, books are written in, in the time in which they exist, right. Like, the hate you give is a great example. Like that's a hit, like that's historical fiction in a way. And yeah. if, if you're going to ban these books, you're banning history. You're erasing his, you're erasing yeah. history. And that's shockingly evil to me. And also these people are making decisions, reading decisions for people they will never meet. <laughs> like that's insane <laughs> to me, right? Like they're, they're deciding what some kid can read on the other side of the country. Like it's, it's nuts to me and it's scary. Yeah. No, it, it really is. I, I yeah. love what you said about your erasing history because yeah. I, that's like that's exactly at the core what it is. And I think we're seeing that play out in so many different ways. Like even this idea of like not being able to talk about critical race theory, you know, yeah. it's there's a lot of history there that I think a lot of people are ashamed of. Yeah. But oh yeah, like for sure. It, I yeah. think they can sweep it under the rug. Yeah. You know, and I yep. think that's what we're seeing with like these books that are being banned. It's like you don't want to talk about it, but it's like you said, it's erasing history. And if you erase history away from like kids who are like, you know, in their formative years, mm. what, what are they left with? I mean, if there's no African literature, if there's no history there, there's maybe no blood sky on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? So I mean, you can just think about it that way too, right? So, yeah, you're right. I I I, I agree in the sense that you know, storytellers were, will always find a way to tell stories for sure. But it's this is so insidious, isn't it? It's so and they're so dug in. And, and anyways, I just want to make sure that we bring it up as much as we can and people pay attention and to this. I think, yeah, I think it's important to keep the conversation going. Yeah. Sure. Oh yeah, big time, big time. Mm-hmm. Um. Really quickly, too, I was reading something an interview you did, and I think the the, the question, which I thought actually was a dumb question, but it provi- you provided a really great answer, uh, something about like uh, somebody you would like to hang out with or something. And you said Ava DuVernay. So thank you. I love Ava DuVernay. <laughs> she's, oh, she's, she's, she's my, um, okay, so she's my Twitter brag. You know, like everyone has somebody like super famous that follows yeah, them for, for no reason whatsoever. Ava, Ava follows me, and I don't like to talk she about does? it. Yes. And I, and I, and I don't want to talk about it too much because I'm afraid she'll realize this and then stop following me. <laughs> so I don't like to bring too much attention to it, but she's my, tw- she's my Twitter brag anyway. Oh, so so I, I have been in love with her for forever. I think she's a genius. I think she's a genius. She's got, she has impeccable taste. Like most times if, you know, my answer to the question, like what's your dream date or whatever, I'm like record shopping with Ava DuVernay would be my number one. That's what I want to do with my days. Go record shopping with Ava. Um, but yeah. So anyways, we have that in common. We're both big fans of Ava DuVernay. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Um, talk to me about, uh, so how old were you when you came to Canada? I was 12. So what, uh, what was that like? Cause I mean, 12, you're very aware of what's going on. Like how, oh, yeah. how was that like, you know, was that, uh, did your parents prepare you for this move? Was it expected? No, <laughs> You're yeah. like the first one I'm going to, you know, share this with, but no, well, you don't, I, you don't have to, you can tell me to share. No, 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 no. It's like not even <laughs> in that way. Just in terms of like, I'm, I haven't really gotten people who are like interested to know that, you know, um, but I love this question. Well, so my, my parents, like they didn't prepare me at all. I think I found out I was um, leaving for Canada like a week before, a week before I left. Okay. Um, yeah, it was just um, like, I, my, my dad's been here for years. Um, okay. okay. And I knew that one day, like we would go there and join him or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, there's this superstition of like, you know, just when something big is like happening, like, you know, you, you tell as little people as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was one of those, I was one of those people. Um, so no one really told me anything. And I just, I remember um, finally being told like, yeah, you know, they bought the ticket. 
we're leaving next week and my mom has to go to my school and, you know, tell the principal that I'm not, I won't no longer be there and get my transcripts and all these things. And I remember going to school with her because she had pulled me from class. And I remember going to school with her and like my friends haven't seen me in like a couple of days. And they were just like, what's going on? And then I just started crying because I was like, wait a minute, like I'm leaving this behind. Like I'm, I'm, I'm leaving my childhood behind, like my friends, like, I've always been excited to come, obviously, because I wanted to be close to my dad. But there was something in that moment that was just like, wait, what, what's going to happen to all these relationships and all these friendships and, and the life that I have here, you know? Mm. And I think when I came here, I, I really struggled with that. I struggled a lot with that because it wasn't easy for me here when I first came here, you know? Um and it made me miss a lot of the things that I left there. At some point, I told my parents, I said, I want to go back. <laughs> and, and they were like, I mean, that's that's not possible. So you're just going to have to, you know, make it work and just, you know, deal with it and all the things that were happening at the time. But um, I'm like, I'm, I'm lucky to be like, to be able to be here, right? Because I think, Part of like the immigration thing, while people like leave like countries is to like, you know, offer better, you know, uh, better things for like your, your kids, right? I, I know for sure, like, you know, my dad wanted us here because he thought we could have like a better life, you know, better schooling system and just like a better future. And I think that being here has afforded me a lot of the things that I have, you know, but growing up here like you know being like a 12 year old coming here it was really tough in the beginning um yeah so that was that was like the little story around me being here just being uprooted within a week and then being finding myself in Canada like a week later yeah it's again like you weren't four so you're very aware of what's going on and and here's the thing and here's the thing like you know, age is, is a construct, right? Like a 12-year-old in a Nigerian is much different from a 12-year-old living in Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. It's quite different. Did you struggle to relate to other, you know, peers at that point? Did you make friends quickly? Did it take a while? Like what, what, what went on there? I felt like I, I, um, I made friends a bit quickly, but I think what I struggled with, I, you know, I had an, an accent back then, um, probably still do a little bit but um a little bit yeah 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 no it's beautiful no it's beautiful it's beautiful thank you thank you well I mean a lot of the kids really kind of I guess struggled to interact with me because they just said they couldn't really understand what I was saying um so I think like you know I I made friends but they they didn't really go anywhere because a lot of people just kind of struggled to interact with me and I think in return, like I, I struggled with understanding the different way of life, I guess, that they had here. You know, like I, I remember being here and seeing kids like doing some things and I was like, wait a minute, like, how are you able to get away with this? You know, um, you know, like friends, like don't invite you. Like I had like a couple girls who like, you know, during break. I was, I think I, I was in grade eight when I came here. Yeah. So during like break, you know, they wanted to kind of leave school and kind of sneak off or whatever. But a week ago in Nigeria, I couldn't do that, like without getting in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. So I was always like, no, no, no. Like, I can't, like, you know, I can't do that. And I'm sure they were kind of like just looking at me like, why? What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know? But I think that was like part of like the struggle, just kind of like, seeing that okay yeah life is a bit different here you know kids had a bit more freedom i feel mm-hmm. yeah than i than i was than i ever had you know um so that was yeah that was that took some time to, to uh getting used to it definitely took some time getting used to that i'll bet i'll bet so yeah like one of the things with this book is its star its main character is 15 years old <laughs> and yeah 15 means a lot different things in different parts of the world. There's yeah. a lot of, there's a lot more expected 15 year olds in different parts of the world than there are in other parts of the world. Right. Like it's, it's a big, it's a, it's a, it's a really, ins- 
it's it's an interesting thing to think about and that comes up a lot in this book right what what does a 15 year old look like really and right. right and you know as somebody like me let's say you know 15 <laughs> did not look like Sloan's 15th year on this planet right so it was quite different as you can imagine um so I, I'm always fascinated with this idea of you know kids not necessarily yeah. be, not being afforded the opportunity just to be a kid right at, being forced to grow up sooner than they should should be allowed to right so now that can be for all sorts of reasons it's it's you know it, it's just the way it goes sometimes sometimes it's through tragedy sometimes it's just through expectation i mean there's certain parts of the world where like when you're 14 15 16 you gotta you gotta start working you gotta start earning an income you have to do whatever because that's just the way it is right that's you know 95 percent of the world so you know one of the things that really impressed me with this book was i you get you get so involved in it, you get immersed in it, and it is shocking at the beginning, right? Because we're talking child soldiers, we're talking all these things, violence against children for sure, horrible violence against being conducted against children. But you start to get it, your brain starts to adjust, and you get immersed in this world, and you actually start to forget how old they are. Right. Well, that's that's the thing. I think yeah. um, early on with the with the initial drafts, that was something that. Asifi had raised with me that it's a, there's a point in the story, though, where you start to forget and you don't want the reader to forget. So there were parts in the story where I felt like I had to bring it back, like that reminder that this is a 15-year-old, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, I think early on, like, people just forgot really quickly. Um, yeah. Kind of started as, like, another... Oh, like something happened to like another YA character, you know, whatever. But I needed to have that reminder, though, that, you know, just kind of seep it through the book and through the story that, hey, this is this is still a 15 year old. But one thing I thought was interesting that you, you said is the idea of like 15 looking different to different people across the world. And I think that's so true, because when I in writing this book, I, I felt like I really I wasn't like a comedian writing the book. I was like a Nigerian girl writing mm-hmm. the book. Right. And what I mean by that is at 15 in Nigeria, I think you're getting ready to go to university. Um, like when I came here, uh, I was 12 and I had, if I had stayed in Nigeria, I had about what, two, three more years of schooling to do mm-hmm. or university. So I was at a point where like, my courses were already like tailored towards, okay, I'm, I wanted to do medical school. So you're taking like the heavy sciences, like you're doing physics and all these things that you're, you're learning these things, right? And I remember being in Nigeria and feeling like I was stupid because I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> you know? like, I, don't, I don't understand. But I came here and now I'm in grade eight. And I, I, that was one of the things I struggled with because I'm like, how long is it going to take me to get to university from grade eight? And they said I had to do grade eight, then do grade nine, 10, 11, 12, and then apply. And I was like, if I was in Nigeria, I'd be going to university in two years. Like, what do you mean I have to spend another five years before, before university? And my dad was like, well, over here, they put you in class based on your age. Um, and I remember being in class and suddenly all of these things that I struggled to understand in Nigeria, like with the course, like with the classes made sense. Like math suddenly made sense. Like I understood the circumference of the circle and I, I understood it and I got it. And I was like, wait, wait, like, cause I think, you know, there's such a thing as like putting kids ahead of like, like your brain not being able to take certain things or whatever at, at a certain age, right? Like you just can't process it for some people. Um, and I think when I was in Nigeria, it's like there's this idea of growing up too fast, you know, learning things too early, getting older too quickly, being expected to have a job maybe like, you know, at a certain age. Like there's all of those things that I saw playing out with, you know, people living around me. So I wrote the book through that lens of that situation. You know, people might look at Sloan and be like, well, she's not really acting like a 15-year-old. 
but that's because she's not acting like a 15, like a Western 15 year old. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She was never meant to act that way. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. Um, one of the, you know, the inspiration for this, I know, came from sort of, uh, it was inspired by some true events, some in, insane violence that was, you know, committed against girls, uh, yeah. young young girls kidnapping. And uh, it was a whole big thing there a few years ago. Um, and I know that was a big, big inspiration for, for part of this story, at least the uh, bring back our girls, you know, hashtag the campaign and, um, you know, hugely, hugely influential on you and the story and and there's a there's an insanely insanely important quote in this book that you know there's a part in this book you write and Sloane sort of is, is you know stumbles upon this scene that's awful and violent and and she says I know what it feels like to be robbed of something so precious to you to feel hopeless broken like you are not in control of your own body these people they thrive on taking power over our minds our bodies our emotions they think because we are girls that we are something to be preyed upon they are wrong we are not helpless we are not broken. Despite the scars they leave behind, our bodies are our own. Everything we feel, everything we are belongs to us and us alone. Yes, we are girls, but we are not prey. Tonight, we are alive. Yeah. Pretty, pretty fucking great. (laughs) Like, pretty powerful stuff there. Well written. The scene is intense. The the scene is intense. Um, So I, I... Last time I spoke to to, uh, Tochio Nobuchi, right? We were talking about his latest book, Goliath. I don't know if you've read that, but make sure you read it. And we were talking about Goliath. Yeah. And we were were talking about Riot Baby a little bit as well. And um, he said he couldn't have written one more page of Riot Baby. Because it's intense, right? It's an intense story. It's an intense story. You, you, you You know, you chose this as your inspiration. So you knew you were headed down a dark path. You're diving, you're throwing yourself headfirst into this world, this subject matter. How did you come out on the other side of it? Not okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, honestly, like, you know, not okay at all. Um, this, the, the scene that you read from, that was the, the scene, it made me cry. Yeah. I cried a lot. Like, it, I, made, I, it made I, me cry. It made me cry. I cried while writing it. Yeah. yeah. I, I cried while writing it. Yeah. I, I remember writing this, I, you know, I was living at a different place at the time, I was living in my condo, and um, we had, like, this den that we had also just turned into, like, our office, so I was there, and I was writing this scene, and I just started sobbing, like, started to cry, and I, I, I had to stop, and then I, I stepped outside, and my husband was, like, also just coming at the time, because he could hear me, um, he's like, is everything okay? And I was like, no, like I can't, I can't write this scene. And I said I was gonna take the scene out because I couldn't finish it. Mm. And then he's just like, I think you should finish it. I think that if this is drawing this much emotion out of you, he read it. He read what I was writing that was making me cry. And he he came out of it and he's like, I, I think you need to finish the scene. I think a lot of young girls need to read this scene, you know, and they will understand you know if you ever said you cried if you ever admitted that you cried over this thing they will get it they will know why that is you know um and I think in that you know I I I wrote this and I went back I wrote it I finished it and it was it was so difficult but I finished it and and I, I took a step back after and I read it through and I said to myself like this is this is the moment when, when Bring Back Our Girls happened and I was talking to my mom. This is, this is the moment when I asked my mom, why are these things happening? Why, why, why these young girls, you know, why? And, and, and she said, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of terrible people out there, but there are also a lot of survivors who are able to tell these stories. And hopefully through that, like people can start to heal. Uh-huh. You know? Because I don't know if you followed along with the Bring Back Our Girls when it happened, but there, you know, there were yep. some girls who had been recovered, right? Yeah. And these girls came home and they would have babies. Yep. These were 12-year-olds, 13, 14, who, who came home with 
children. And it's like, how? You know what I mean? Like, why? I, I, I struggled a lot with that. And I think for me, that's what that scene represents. It's like that, that survival because no one can tell these girls' stories. Absolutely. And I, I would never pretend to even tell these girls' stories. But the atrocities that are being committed against young girls, I think is something that, you know, a lot of people need to be vocal about. And the moment in writing this scene, and even especially that, that paragraph that you read from, it's like, that was, it meant something to me to be able to put that there, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. It's, but I guess, um, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, listen, I, I don't know if your husband gives good advice all the time, but he gave you good advice there. But uh, <laughs> he was right. He was bang on right to keep that, to leave that scene in. Because, I mean, the answer to the question is like, why is this happening? It's because they can, because they think they can. Men, I'm talking about, right? Because they think they have the right to do it. And it's it's interesting because, especially in this story for sure, but then in reality, and from from the Black, Bring Our Black Girls, Bring bring Back Our Girls campaign to, to what's happening all around the world, even as you and I are talking right now to, to women and, and girls around the world right now, it's expected that they're going to suffer some type of trauma or horrible event. And this idea that, you know, especially the one line about um, despite what scars they leave behind, our bodies are our own. So, you know, this idea that you're, it's almost expected that you're going to encounter evil at some point in your life as a girl growing up in a certain part of the world. It's not that you go through this trauma. It's how you come out of it on the other side. And it's, it make, and use it as a way, as a fuel to make you stronger and, and, you know, react from there accordingly. Right. Like, that's why I wanted to ask you that question. Like, how did you come out of this on the other side? Because when you put yourself in, when you put yourself purposely into these, these dark arenas, you expose yourself to certain things that maybe you didn't know about before, maybe you knew a little bit about, but weren't sure the details. It changes you. It has to, doesn't it? How could it not? (laughs) Right? Like, so. Yeah. It was something that you know I knew and knew about. Obviously, you hear about these things, but I didn't really know too much about it. Yeah. Um, and then in just you know that situation happening with bring back our girls and doing all this research, hearing about you know child brides and all these things, just kind of like diving head deep into like the whole war on children thing. It's like man, you hear things, you read things, and you're just like, holy shit, you mm-hmm. know, like this. This is something completely different from like your own reality, like. This is something you couldn't even fathom on like the worst days of you know of anything. Um, but these are these are people's experiences and these are some some children's experiences. And I think there was a there was a point you know in Blood Sign where my editor and I we were thinking about including a scene. And Sloan kind of goes to a moment towards the end where she kind of ends up summarizing the scene. Uh-huh. Like yeah, we, we can't even put this in this book. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. We've already put a lot in this book. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this. Not do that. This, <laughs> this book is one giant trigger warning. <laughs> this book is this one. It's one giant content warning. Like it gets messy, right? It gets violent. It gets bloody, and and you put Sloan, you know, to hell and back. And what's interesting is you have you have her commit extreme acts of violence, and um, and it's and you know, and that's kind of, that's kind of her journey, isn't it? To like be put through this meat grinder and, you know, to, to hang on to what little bit of, of herself, her own self-worth, her own self-respect. And that's it. And it's just barely hanging on. It's a thread, right. In some instances, but just to, to lose sight of that for one second would mean, would, would mean the end of her, wouldn't it? And it's interesting how what the things that she does to help overcome some of these traumatic things that she has gone through, things she's witnessed, things she herself has had to do. Um, I love these moments. I love my favorite moments, I think, in the book are the moments right after you have Sloan do something horrible. And it's, it's almost like this, uh, you, you suck the air out of the room. And you have her parsing this with herself, right? Like 
she's traumatized and then she starts to try and convince herself that it was necessary. Here's why. Here's the little bit of me that is now gone. That's never coming back. I'm never getting that, that part of me back again. But I got to make sure I hang on to what little is left. Otherwise, this whole thing is done, isn't it? So those are my favorite moments. Um, people understand more when they read the book. But that, Deborah, I thought those moments were, were written so well, so well. Um, I just I couldn't believe it. I was reading it. It was so great, those moments. Because I can't say this strongly enough you fucking put her through some shit and she she does some stuff in this book where people are going to be like holy moly and uh you know the mirror if there's a miracle in this book it's that we get to the end of this book and i am still firmly team sloan you know you, yeah i i you know there's some people that you know might not see it that way and you know what that, that's fine yeah of course fine yeah, yeah because you know, it's like people you interpret things differently, but I think that I think it's it's part of the yes, truth. it is. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's truth. Yeah. I, I think my only advice to be someone going into this book was don't get attached to too many characters. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. Um, so what so this is like a true sff in the sense that like it really is like fantasy and science fiction a lot of times and i'm just sort of curious what you enjoyed more and what you struggled with more either writing sort of like the science fictiony military stuff that comes up in the book or the true sort of like fantasy like the Euro, the european you know mythology and religion stuff i think i love the mythology a lot more because i couldn't wait like I, i've it's always been like a dream of mine to be able to write about these gods and uh, I, I hope I hope to be able to actually write about the actual gods uh one day because there's just just so much there but just even just being able to bring a little bit of like the Orisha gods into the story and um play with you know these cultural elements that you know I grew up with it's like that was that that like nothing that was a moment for me and I for that I will always this book will always have a place in my heart obviously but um I think with the sci-fi elements like I I, I felt like that really grounded mm-hmm. the story yep. you know? and that was something I, I really appreciated a lot because YA is something that you know there's a lot of books that are constantly coming out in YA and you as a writer you know you write things that you love and things that you want to read but I, I, I doubted at first, like, could I merge these two together this way? Like, would it work? Would people get it? Um, but I really felt like it was necessary. You know, I didn't want to write, you know, a story where it would have been easy to just give, give the characters like swords and, you know, kind of ground it in like a medieval African fantasy, you know, thing. But there was something so raw about taking all of that away and being like, okay, they're going to own guns. Like they're going to, it's going to be really military. It's going to technology, you know, all of these things that it just felt so real, you know, and because that was what I was going for, it just made sense to me. So I think I really appreciated being able to add the science fiction elements into it too, because I think it, it did something. Right. It absolutely. You, it, it, it comes yeah. together so well Deborah like so well like seamlessly it's just it feels so it's almost like you don't you wouldn't want it any other way they they just they they meld together so well it's particularly in this book for sure um the world building in this book is insane it's so great um I'm curious about the you know like when you were outlining or whatever your process was like for the Orishas and you know Aldemar and all this stuff because there's this there's this thing where you know, like this fact, almost like this fact versus fiction thing where a lot of the old world stories, you know, that originated have changed because they've passed through so many hands, especially during the diaspora and because of missionaries and colonization and all these different types of things. And the West has gotten a hold of this, these folk tales and these, this mythology too, and, and sort of changed it to fit their sensibility, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, I assume you just went 
you just went to the source and stuff you were very comfortable and already knew about probably from your your own family and history yeah I definitely did um I I just I my my mom taught uh Yoruba in uh, Nigeria and that was that to me she was she was really helpful with you know those elements but a lot of it I just I went with what I knew like the creation myth for example was something that you know you hear about as a kid growing up and for me I was like well okay the idea of like these you know ancient kingdoms and whatever it's like, yeah. told true. yeah you know the number 16 is something so significant to the yoga culture so there was different elements I was just like okay I know I'm writing fiction and I know I could technically play with whatever I want with this culture but if I could also ground it in in that essence of truth and you know what's real or at least what we know uh-huh. that's real why not you know and i think it just it worked uh-huh. really well it worked really well and that to me was also just part of like what i loved about it being able to take from the source and fit it into the story and have it just mesh really well to it like i, I kind of built the story around the source especially when it comes to the mythology right. aspect, because I didn't want to mess with it too much. You know, I didn't want to dilute it. I didn't want to like, you know, change things. Like I know that, you know, so your Nigerian kids are going to read this and I, I wanted them to read it and be like, Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah. I heard that story too. Uh-huh. You know, I didn't want them to read it and be like, wait, right. what the hell is yeah. this? You know? Or it's a, or it's uh, a really great gateway for us sort of, you know, North American white people too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So definitely, definitely went um, went to the source with all that. And I mean, there there were things I played with, and we're gonna see a lot of it too in book two. Just you know, things that you play with just for the sake of the story. But I think at uh-huh. the root of it, you know, it's like very, it's very solid. Um, it's I mean, it's it's important in any book, but it's more important in a series that we we have to love the main character. Um. Talk talk about Sloan a little bit before I let you go. Like, what what was important? What was important to you when you were developing this? You know, her character and and sort of what her path sort of looked like. And because because again, I don't you know I don't want to like it's broken record, but yeah, you take her to the edge and back and a couple of times and and uh, and it's but there's still a lot of like a lot of these you know there's the chosen one trope and all these things going on for sure. But at the same time, you make her much more complex in a lot of ways than a lot of these chosen other chosen one books do because she has this intentionality this this insane drive to complete her task and you know heaven forbid someone stands in her way and then right and there's some there's some like casualties along the way here I, i you know like i hinted at earlier like this is not no one's hands are clean here including hers Talk about, yeah, just sort of finding that right note for her, that right balance. Yeah, I mean, so with Sloan, like, I, I knew what her backstory was. I knew that she was, you know, someone who was on the search for the truth about her mom, right? right? And I I feel like if a character is going to be in a world like this, like a world that's as brutal as this, she's she's had to she's had to grow up like we said earlier she's had to grow up a little too quickly you know so with her decisions i knew that she was going to be a character that was very much like a go-getter like nothing will stand in her way and i think i struggled with that in the beginning because it's like okay you're writing a character which you know nothing will stand in her way but you're putting her through the ringer in this way which means she's going to have to do some things how is that going to be received? Um, but I also felt like it made sense to the world that I built because the thing about Sloan, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna see that in book two is like there's an element here of like you're witnessing a young girl that actually does not see herself as a young girl. You know, um, like you're witnessing this this person who from a very young age 
like really, really young, I had to go through a lot of things, you know. Um, in book two, we're gonna peel up some layers of like, you know, what life was like even when her mom was around, right? Um, and some some really hard truths are, are, are gonna come out of like what she's even gone through even before this 15 year old girl that you're meeting in book one. And so I think because of that, it made sense to let her do what she needed to do to get to where she needed to get to, if that makes sense. Like, oh yeah, no, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. It, it made sense to just sort of like let her loose because the world was also being like lost on her in a way, like the, the world was also being unleashed on her. Oh yeah. So we're yeah. seeing this come to play where like, okay, she's willing to do whatever it takes, but the world is also willing to do whatever it takes. And I thought that clash between her and like what others were also willing to do to her, like I thought that was that was something very dynamic, and I wanted to explore that. And I will I will say too that you know I read a story a long time ago, and this was like during my research on like child soldiers, and um, it was this uh, young boy who was talking about his his journey as a captured child who was turned into a soldier and just like a lot of like his reluctance to wanting to still perceive himself as a kid wanting to still perceive himself as a child and how at every turn that was being physically beaten out of him like it was being taken away from him uh-huh. and then there was a moment when he was um speaking about this horror that he had had to commit on like a fellow friend and I think that was the moment where I was like, okay, I think I understand Snow's character. Mm. And I just sort of like built that revelation around who she was going to be. Because we see this, you know, girl who's strong and we see her do some really crazy things. But we also see these moments of like vulnerability, you know, that she's still trying to like hold on to like these pieces of herself even while they're like falling apart in front of her right um but yeah like I just I I really thought I thought her journey was something that was like personally for me I thought it was really dope (laughs) yeah (laughs) I really no I really yeah I really right I I love this idea of yeah like she's she's in a nest of vipers right And, and I love this idea of of you know you can only put your foot on somebody's neck for so long I mean, they're eventually they're going to get up and Sloan got up <laughs> and, uh, you know, you know, everyone else is fair warning. Right. So um, I, I will say this, that like pretty much all of my favorite characters die in this book. So <laughs> I don't know what that means, but um, it's just the way it goes. It's just the way it goes. But hey, that's but I mean, you know, Sloan is my it is my favorite character for sure. I fell in love with Sloan. But uh, but um, yeah, I took some hits in this book. I'm not going to lie. Um, but, uh, listen, um, I love this book so much. There's so much, like, we haven't even talked about the book. Like there's so much going on there. There's, and like, you could even like, there's even like, there's family drama. There's, you know, there's obviously, obviously, obviously an insane amount of magic. It really, the magic system is wonderful. And obviously rooted in that, that beautiful history, um, with the Orishas, like so wonderful. The backstory, this, this, this world that, you know, you put us in has such a rich and powerful history and, and you do a really great job of, you know, interjecting with these bits of historical facts so that really give us, give this whole world such a shape that is so, makes it so wonderful to read. And there's so much momentum and there's these secret organizations and groups that are up to stuff. We're not sure what they're doing. And, there's a, there's all this, like, of course, the hierarchy and you don't know who you can trust. You don't know who's doing what. And I mean, it's just, it's quite a story, uh, Deborah. It's really, it's really intense. It's really, it's really just weighty and, and, and complex and, and it's really great. It's such a great start. I really can't read, wait to read more of it. So congratulations on this book. It's so, Thank you so much. yeah. Um, you don't have a website, so I assume um, any events like the one we mentioned earlier, uh, you know any updates obviously you're on because you're on tw- you're on all you're everywhere else you're tw- you know everywhere, everywhere. I'm like, yeah I'm, I'm, i yeah uh, i, I kind of got off twitter a little bit there but i'm back on it now um yep. i'm on instagram i'm always on instagram perfect um, i dip my toes into tiktok and figure that out but yeah 
<laughs> so any updates for launch events and stuff like that can be found there. Um, yes, yes. I just announced my um, launch with Sportcraft already with JL and Shannon next week, yep. and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So great. And um, listen, I, you know, we're both Ontario people. It's so great. Congratulations. <laughs> I love it. Congratulations. And um, just have a really great launch and a great rest of the year if we don't talk. And yeah, man, I can't wait for book two. I'm so excited. So good. yes, good luck with good luck with everything. There you have it. Another episode of Everything is Canon all wrapped up. Huge thanks to Deborah for taking the time to chat with me all about Blood Sky on, which is a fantastic debut and start to the series. Blood Sky is out now, so pick up a copy wherever you buy your books. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen and head on over to cinelinks.com for the latest movie, TV, books, and gaming news. Please continue to be safe out there. Bye for now.